What's up, party people? You know one of the worst things about being a self-employed performer? That's right, it's your tax. If you're sick and tired of collecting all your receipts and guessing your way through your tax rebate, well, I know the people that can remove the stress and make it as simple as five, six, seven, eight. That's right, it's Theat Accounts. They're an accounting company that specialise in working with performers. So they know all the things that we can claim back, and it's so simple. You upload your invoices and bank statements to their website, and they do all the work for you. It's cheap, it's easy, and once you try it, I guarantee you will not regret it. It has changed my tax life. Just email info at theataccounts.co.uk. That's theat, T-H-E-A-T, accounts. So again, that's info at theataccounts.co.uk. Make sure you tell them you're from the Ins and Outs podcast and you'll get some five-star VIP treatment. You will get treated like a king. Honestly, they've changed my life. They've made it so much easier. They've removed the stress from tax and they can do the same for you. Boom. What's up guys? Recently I've been working with an incredible company called Quiet Media. Quiet Media create beautiful video reels, vocal reels, self-tapes, music videos and many, many more. So if you're looking to capture your idea on a video or via audio, then Quiet Media is for you. Go to quietmedia.co.uk or find them on Instagram at quiet underscore media. That's quietmedia.co.uk or at quiet underscore media. Also, don't forget to tell them that you're from the Ins and Outs podcast to receive that special luxury treatment. I promise you, you will not regret investing in this company to help you capture your imagination or your creativity. That's quietmedia.co.uk. Pow! The Ins and Outs podcast with your host, Kane Silver. In this episode of the Ins and Outs podcast, I speak to professional dancer, choreographer, and creative Mukta Omar Sharif. Mukta is the original creator and a member of Plague Dance Crew. Yes, that's right. The famous Plague Dance Crew. If you don't know who Plague are, please go and do yourself a favor and go and research who they are because they are one of the leading dance companies of the UK. Um, they're phenomenal, they're very, very inspiring, and very, very versatile. Um, Mukta has had a pretty fantastic journey, really. He started off creating Plague at the age of 20, I believe, and is now a creative director for Cirque du Soleil. He tells us in this podcast all of the in-between. It is pretty inspiring. Uh, He gives some great advice, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Here is the incredible Mukta Omar Sharif. Yeah, we're in. Perfect. Man, this is exciting. No one's ever got a microphone. Oh, really? You know what? No one. (laughs) Well, luckily it's because I do do podcasts weekly with with football, with a few football people. So I just bought myself, I had it for like, I would say two weeks, I think. So so it worked out. Time is perfect. No, it's everyone perfect. I speak to, no one ever has, uh, like, if it's via Zoom, obviously, yeah. no one ever has a mic. So everyone just like, AirPods okay? And it's like, yeah, they work, but it's just never as crisp. For you sure. Know? 
For and, sure. And I know nothing about sound. So I've recently got a sound guy. So even he's like, you need to get people if they've got a microphone. I'm like, okay, I'll try. I'll try. No, 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 for sure. It's, <laughs> it, and it's really, it's not even expensive. So people should invest in one for sure. Yeah, definitely. So mm-hmm. you just said you started a podcast. Yo, what's yes. that about? Oh, no. I, uh, since everyone went into lockdown with this whole virus thing, um, I have friends that we discuss football. Uh-huh. all the time you know uh, we're big football fans so we just started doing podcasts weekly previewing games talking about results and all oh, of that sick. since then yeah so we've been going since i think it's since april now so it's been how fun you, how are you finding it it's fun i mean it's it's we didn't do it to try and be big on youtube or anything like that it was just a form of social platform yeah. where we can just you know enjoy ourselves and just have fun yeah, that's it's, dope. It's been, it's been fun. The only annoying thing is I'm the one that edits the videos and everything together. So mm. it takes a bit of my time, but yeah, but it's but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, that when I started, I was it was just me, like one man band, and I didn't do any via uh like the internet. So everything mm. was in person. So after like driving for hours to go and meet someone, setting up, making sure the audio is okay, being engaged in the conversation, yeah. I was like, I can't film this stuff as well. I was yeah. like, if I film it, it's just all going to be that bit too much for me and yeah, kill my for life. Real. No, but, for real. I get uh, that. Yeah, I recently got a sound guy. Uh, shout out to Quiet Media. Um, they're a great company. Uh, mm-hmm. And they helped me out because I was like, yo, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've blagged over 100 episodes. <laughs> all you your know? episodes are on Zoom? Uh, no. So everything started off in person. But since lockdown, mm-hmm. um, I really utilized the time because I was like, okay, everyone's in the same position. No one's mm. doing anything. And you know, all the normally the people that you wouldn't be able to get hold of, they're sat normally wanting to talk about themselves and nothing to do. So I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so I was doing them on Instagram live quite a bit because um, mm. Instagram live audio is actually quite good. Yeah. Like they have, I don't know what they use, but there's something that makes the sound actually okay when it's a okay. conversation. Um, and then, but I just prefer Zoom because when you've got comments and all that jazz and it's on my phone, it's just effort. So this is better for for yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. But, but I ooh. utilize it for the people that I can't get get to, you know? Yeah. Um, so sense. yeah, where are you right now? I'm in Montreal, Canada at the moment. Oh, sick. What, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I spoke to, I'm sure you'll know him, Rick Chia. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. He's, I, I he, he spoke was, to, yeah, spoke he, to Rick he, last week. Oh, cool. How's yeah. he doing? Yeah, well, he seemed great. I don't know. I don't know what he's like normally, but he seemed great. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, he was he was head of uh, dance scouting for Cirque. Yeah, that's what, that's what his role used to be for sure. Yeah, he was telling me how he got there and stuff, and I was like, okay, that's dope. And it's weird because I had arranged with you to talk with you, and then my friend Matthew, who runs a, a studio called Heartworks in Birmingham, was like, I know a guy called Rick. You should speak to him too. And I was like, let's make it happen. Perfect. Let's get yeah, everyone he's in. He's a good guy for sure. He's a good yeah, guy. Yeah. Very interesting, like, story of, like, his background and his training and stuff. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I want to get from you is a bit about your journey and how you got to the position you're in now. Because uh, you're from London, right? Yes, yes. Like, I'm who would have thought that from <laughs> London? Uh, and I believe you're in Plague, am I right? I, yeah, I started Plague, so, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was, exactly. You started yeah. Plague and now yeah. you are creative director for Cirque du Soleil. Like, mm-hmm. That's pretty damn incredible. Um, Thank you. So Thank you. before we go through all that side of the journey, what got you to start dancing? Like, what was your introduction to dance? You know what? It's it's crazy because for me, I I started dancing in 2000, actually, the year mm. 2000. And uh, before that, I was at university. I was studying forensic science. 
So oh, damn. I just wanted to do, I liked the idea, you know, when you go to a club and you just dance. I like that. I had a, I think I had a natural rhythm to me and I always appreciated music and, and dance. But I just said to myself, I need to do something that will keep me fit, that will keep me healthy. I was playing football at the time, but I wanted to try something else. So I, uh, someone, I, someone told me, you know, you should go to Pineapple Studios. They have a lot of different classes there you know, yeah. take a pick. Cause I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into hip hop or whether I wanted to go aerobic. So I just wanted to be fit. So I went, I went to pineapple studios and funny enough, one of the first classes I saw was, um, uh, Lil J. Uh -huh. I don't know if you know Lil J. Yeah, class. of course. Everyone you know knows that? Lil J. Exactly. That was one, that was the first class I saw. And what I liked about that class was they were, she was teaching it wasn't necessarily about the style. It was more about coordination, more about spatial awareness, you know, uh, simple how to pick up choreography with counts. You know, that's mm -hmm. something I didn't know. So mm -hmm. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go here and I'm going to try it and I'm going to have fun. I, I think at the time I was working at Burger King. I was working mm -hmm. in Burger King at the time and I was studying. So I just went there. And as I continued going to those classes, I started liking the idea of moving and dancing. And that's where I met who would be basically the original members of Plague at the beginning. I met uh, Jasmine Cox. I don't know if you uh -huh. know Jasmine yes. Cox. I met her there. I met Nuna Sandy as well mm -hmm. there. And uh, I also met a, a guy called Emmanuel. I don't know if you know him. He's not in the scene anymore. A uh, really I, big guy. He's a tall guy. Yeah. Tall guy. Yeah. I met him. Yes, he, I, know I, think, I think he acts now. He so used I to met, teach at Pineapple. Yes, at one yeah, point, to yeah. pineapple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was four of us, you know, after a while, we just said, you know what, this is cool. But it was a little bit expensive at Pineapple Studios. It was like 10 pounds or something like that, just for like an hour and a half. Mm. So we just thought to ourselves, we want to do this more. We don't want to pay more money to do this. Let's train with each other, you know. So we started mm. training with each other. And that's how Plague started to come about. That's sick. So, yeah. but what made you be like, I want to go and take a dance class? Like you must have already had some sort of interest in music or dancing. Like, You know what? Yes, for sure. I, I liked the idea of, of dancing, not necessarily any specific style, but one time I was at university and there was a performance at our university and it was these dancers and it wasn't necessarily hip hop, I don't think. I think it, if I remember correctly, it was a contemporary type of performance that they were doing and i really liked it and what i really liked about it was how they were able to express themselves without speaking they were talking to me without mm. saying any words and that was so foreign to me I, I didn't get it and and me growing up i didn't come across you know theater or or shows or anything like that that was really not in my pipeline uh, mm. so when i first saw this it really blew me away and i think that was the seed in my head, even though I didn't think about it too much, that was growing, you know, and it, it was something that I could not let go of. I saw that there was something interesting about it. I want to explore it more. That was that was then what made me think, you know what, I'm going to go to Pineapple. That's sick. How, how old were you then? So if you're in uni? I was be... around 20, 22, 23, something Yo, like that. that's late start as well. Very, bro. very, like, very. That's super late. But but I wasn't I wasn't doing it to try and have a career out of it. I was yeah. just doing it. You know what? I just want to go and have fun. My career is forensic science. That's what I'm building for. You know, and I I'm getting paid with my Burger King employment. So I'm like, I'm just doing this for fun. You know, mm. and then of course it it propelled from there. 
So you you start plague. There's four of you. How does it yeah. keep growing? How how does your we started we flourish? started do, yeah we started doing shows together, just small small shows, just to kind of uh, test what we were doing and see because at that time, I was you know me Jasmine and Nuna were very how how can I put it. Little J, we were Little J. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel came into Little J, but Emmanuel was also taking uh, Jimmy Jimmy's classes. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember Jimmy. Of course. He was doing popping and locking. So I was really intrigued in, in this popping and locking thing. And I kept on trying to do that as well. So what we did was we started to do shows where we used each other's strengths to create the choreography, you know? So Emmanuel mm-hmm. would help out with the popping and locking. Um, I, Jasmine was like the best probably, Jasmine and Nuna were probably the best out of all of us because maybe they were dancing a little bit longer, but they were also very clean in their choreography and the way they performed it. So we were trying to learn off them as mm-hmm. much as possible as well. So we were all giving things to each other. Uh, I was trying to be creative in putting this set together. I don't know why, but from the beginning, I had something uh, about me with creating, with making things happen from nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. whether I was highly skilled at that or not, it didn't matter to me. I saw pictures and I wanted to paint those pictures. So Mm -hmm. I think that I I would say, I think that's what I would brought to the table at the beginning, you know? So we all started really feeding each other, doing shows. And then we met a few different people at these shows. And uh, I remember one time, you, I, you know Turbo, right? Turbo. Yes, and of course. I remember I was at college also. Or was it Uni York College? I don't remember. I met Turbo and FM and LM. And and these guys came and they did like a freestyle show. And it blew everyone away, you know? So, you know, at that time, me, Nuna, Jasmine, and all that were doing what we were doing. Um we asked them, where do you train? You know, and they trained a lot with uh, Kenrick. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we were doing our shows and our competitions, I went there as well. I wanted to see what this hype was about as well. And then I started dancing and taking classes with Boy Blue as yeah. well. So I was doing my play thing on the side with Jasmine, Nuna, Emmanuel. And then I started doing Boy Blue as well, just to train and get myself better. And from there is when I started to meet the likes of, uh, as I said, Turbo, uh, Marlon. Um, mm-hmm. and, and with these guys, I wanted to, I saw something in them that could improve what we already have at Plague, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Plague wasn't about auditions and, you know, every three months we're going to get new members. It was nothing like that. It was always the way we picked was how can that person add something to the group that we don't have? You know, that, that it was always that. So when we saw Turbo, it was, you know, his craziness, you know, that personality yeah. <laughs> he has through his dancing, we did not have. So same with Marlon. Marlon had this really mysterious thing about him, but his popping was very, very good and he could do choreo well. So we started bringing people in slowly and we started to do competitions. Yeah. So the first ever competition we did was in Battersea Park in South London. And we won that. It was like a thousand... Uh, pounds, I think that you Stick. could win. Yeah, and there was like five, six of us. But we, did, I mean, it was a it was a variety show. So you're competing against singers and magicians and whatever it was. We didn't know whether we we're gonna win or not. We just went and did it. And the fact that we won, I really believe that that show gave us a boost in yes, what we're doing is right. We're going in the right direction, and we need mm. to 
pursue this. So from there, we went on to do the first GWI. I don't know if you're aware yes, of GWI. Yeah, I know. I'm sure most of the listeners under the age of 30 won't have yeah. a clue what GWI <laughs> no, is. Exactly, exactly. But yes, I know. GWI is one of those competitions that set a lot of us off as well. And we did the first one and that it was in 2002, mm-hmm. that first one that we did. And we, did, we, didn't, we didn't win that. We actually lost to Kenrick's KMK. And I remember that day like, like it was yesterday because I hated losing, hated it. <laughs> so I was like, I can either quit and just go back to, you know, what I, what, what I still was doing, which was studying and just focus on that fully or like, I'm like coming back next year with the crew and we're going to make sure we win. Yeah. Whoever, whoever we competed against, it didn't matter. So uh, that whole year was really training. The whole year was getting the right people into the group. We did a whole shifting of the group. Um, and then the next year came, and that was the first year that we did the Black Matrix suit mm-hmm. in GWI, which made huge noises. And that's the year that we came first place. Yeah, because uh, when I think of Plague, that is exactly my where my brain goes is GWI. And then I think mm. of like diversity, flawless, pink mafia. Yeah. Like it was kind of like uh, the beginning of like, for me, yeah. seeing dance groups. Yeah, you know? for sure. But like do, you know companies. do you know what's crazy though? Like that first year, even the second year that we competed where we came first, like flawless wasn't there. Mm. You know, they were not formed yet. Diversity were not formed yet. Um, all of these groups that people know now were not formed yet. Like Flawless, Marlon is the choreographer of Flawless. Yeah. And he, he was still He's at reviewed. Plague. Yeah, he was yeah. still at Plague. And he was also at Boy Blue at the time as well. So I think is after 2004, I think that's when the diversity started to come. That's when the Flawless started to come. The Peridos, the, all mm. of them. Damn, they started, Perido. Yeah, they all started oh. branching off. Exactly. And Perido, the, the choreographer of Perido was in Plague as well. Yeah, you know. So, what I I think what I was most proud of with Plague is that we created leaders. You know, I would say mm. more than anything, it wasn't just a group; it was a family. That it was it was a it was a space that allowed people to create and to to feel and build as creators. So, you know, Sims went off to do Perido. Marlon went off to do Flawless. Um, I went off to do what I'm doing. Um, mm. Jasmine also is a leader in her own way. Brooke now is in charge of Plague. So it's, mm-hmm. it's everybody had something about them that, mm. you know, when they left that they could take with them from those experiences. Yeah. What was like your training like? Because if you weren't doing it at like a, say like a pineapple where you're going to pay. And obviously, like you said, you're bringing in all these different people which offer a different skill set. And when yeah. I think of Plague, I always think of how versatile they are as a group. Yeah. And yeah. that is more than just, uh, you know, maybe if you don't know the members of Plague and you've just seen them as an outsider, you'd maybe think, oh, they're a popping group. You yeah, know? Yeah. But when you actually look at more than just maybe the first clip that you see, you see there's so many more levels and layers sure. to Plague than that. What was your training like? How was it like? Was it like today I'm train- taking training, tomorrow Turbo is? Like, how not did necessarily. you structure it? No, not necessarily. I think when we first started Plague, we knew, I mean, we didn't have an idea of, you know, where we would end up or anything like that. What all we knew was we loved to do what we do. We loved popping. We loved locking. And we loved just street dance choreography. We just loved mm-hmm. that. So we just thought to ourselves, every show that we do, let's implement these styles. But at the same time, let's freestyle. 
You know, let's make sure we're always freestyling, even if we're not comfortable in how we're freestyling. The only way you're going to improve your confidence is by doing it in front of people. You know, mm -hmm. even if you mess up, don't worry. They don't know you mess up because you're freestyling. Mm -hmm. So we, we started like that. And then after a while, you know, after I would say 2004, 2005, around that time, we started to realize, okay, if we want to take this seriously, we have to train properly, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's some people in the group that were confident where they were. And then some others in the group that were really hungry to train more because they kept on doing it every day. So one example I would say is Brooke. Brooke was someone, you know, he came to the group when he was 15, I think. He was really, mm. really young. And I remember 2004, 2005, he would always be pushing the idea of we need to train, you know, forget about rehearsals, forget about all of that. We need to just go into a space and just train, train, train. Mm. So it wasn't that someone would lead the training sessions or anything like that. It was just that we were feeding off each other, I would say, you know, like, uh, mm. uh, and I would say Brooke, uh, Kamal, maybe at that time, Kamal came towards the end, um, Dom's, mm -hmm. I think th those guys were the heavy trainers, I would say, when, when, it talks, when we're talking about really doing the research, but mm. what we what we did was also as a whole group, we said to ourselves, anytime the likes of Popping Pete come into town or the likes of Sugar Pop come out, they were doing intensive workshops. Mm -hmm. And we made it like mandatory for us to take those workshops. You know, of course, mm. if someone didn't have money, it's okay, they didn't take it. And we would try and teach them what we learned. Mm -hmm. But it was a mandate for us that we had to take any of these classes that came to try and learn as much knowledge of them as possible and then implement it in our own way instead of just copying. Nice. So, I think that was the the major training, I would say. Yeah. But we were also teaching every week. Remember, we we had classes at Husky Studios yeah. every week for four hours. You know, uh, I think the cheap did. the cheapest training in the country. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and and the fact uh, we would teach a we would teach a, a routine for for the first three hours or three hours and a half, and then the rest of the class would be you know freestyle. You know, we would have freestyle sessions and. So I think that also really helped in the training because it allowed, there was people there that were watching, not everybody would join in the, the freestyle. So it gives you an audience, but at the same time, you're feeding off the energy of the room. Yeah, sick. So you get mm. used to that showmanship as well. You know, mm, if there's people exactly. watching, if you don't have that experience in front of people performing so much, that's where you're going to get it. Exactly. For us, there was three important things. I mean, showmanship, as you said, was one, we have to be able to perform. We have to, people need to, feel our energy on the stage. That mm -hmm. was one. The other thing was that we needed to make sure that we were versatile in what we were doing so that we can pop from one style to the next. And we had to make sure that we put the right people in the limelight. Not just everybody will do everything. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, if we're doing house, for example, we would put Sayaka. I don't know if you remember Sayaka, yeah. but we would put her in the limelight or we would put Frankie who came later on, mm -hmm. even though I didn't get to work with Frankie, but he would be in the limelight. If it was popping, we'd put the people who were strong in popping in the limelight yeah. until the other people caught up. Everybody had a strength that they had to show in the performances and we had to improve as much as we could. Yeah. And that's what I guess brings the versatility to the company, right? Because you're yeah. always showing the, the strengths of the company and not, and I feel like this is what, maybe younger groups do now is like it's like that participation award like mm. everyone's everyone's in everything and it's like well no they're not good at that yet let's not yeah. let's not put them in that limelight yet because they haven't graduated if that makes yeah. sense like yeah no no i hear you I, it's a difficult thing though because 
you have to be able to spot that. You have to be able to spot when someone is ready to be able to showcase their stuff in front of people or when they're not. And mm. that's not an easy thing to do because then you're relying on the choreographer or the director, whoever it is, to be able to have the eye to do that. And I, I, I don't know how England is right now because I haven't mm. been there for a while, but I remember towards the end of when I was there, everybody was trying to create groups, you know, mm -hmm. and you were a dancer for a month and then already you were trying to create a group. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You know, you do whatever you feel is best for your career. That's kind of what I did, you know, mm -hmm. and I, uh, at the beginning of my career. So I just think people have to be honest with themselves. You have to be honest. Am I ready to take this on right now? The only mm -hmm. reason I did a group so early in my career was because I was hungry to learn more. I, I wanted to train more and I couldn't do it at Pineapple Studios because it was too expensive. So yeah. that led me to creating something with a group of people I trusted. So, yeah. But like you said, it wasn't to do uh, shows or to have a living or career. It was just no. purely for training. And and yeah. that's, I guess, the difference in what you're saying is people now create group groups to showcase, yeah. not to, maybe not so much to train. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm just assuming. That's <laughs> yeah, what I exactly. see from... Because everything now is about like a competition or a video. Yeah. But like, you know, there's all these different uh, end goals. Yeah. All these different platforms that we can share on. So well, I guess what's people's stimuli? Are they doing it to train to be better? Or are they doing it to reach a platform? I think that's, I think you hit that. Yeah, I think it's... I think people need to know what they want to do. You know, I think, you know, it's okay if you're just doing it for fun, but if you're doing it for more than that, you need to know what your end goal is. What do you want from this? Like, do you want to go into theater, you know, from this experience? Do you want to go into competitions from this experience? Do you want, what is your end goal as a, as a dancer? Because dancers need to realize that they're not going to dance forever. And mm. that's something I always had in my head. Like, I'm not going to dance forever. And I knew from the beginning I preferred creating to performing or dancing mm -hmm. i preferred creating way more so i think i was lucky that i knew that from the start and i think people need to know that because i i really it's heartbreaking when you've been doing something for so long and you love it and then you get to an age where you can't do it anymore but you haven't set yourself up to go to the next level or anything because all you were thinking about was just dancing and being a performer. So I think people need to be a little bit more smart about the long term and not yeah. just the short term. You know, like think about it like do you do you want to dance for the next 10 years and then all of a sudden go and work in Marks and Spencers? Like, you know, or do you want to find a way to go from being a dancer to an artistic director or being a dancer to a choreographer or being a dancer to a producer? Like mm -hmm. all of these options are available to you for you to make it come to fruition you have to make sure you have that in your mind as you're doing your dancing because then you can create opportunities for yourself in that 10 years yeah. you know you can you can make these opportunities and that's what i was doing it all the time i was creating 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 even when i'm in a comfortable position where i am in a job performing doing what i love mm -hmm. I knew that this performance, I can't, it's not going to last forever. So I need to start planting my seeds of mm. what I'm going to do later. Yeah. What, um, what was your introduction into, I guess, dance being your job besides teaching? Like, what was your first, like, where it became a career? I would say that the, I, I think it was my transition from being 
from be from dancing with plague to going into Cirque du Soleil as a performer. I would say mm-hmm. that's when I had to make the biggest decision of choosing between education and art, you know, and that's, I come from an African family. And if you, if you know, when you come from a family like that, it's always education, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't, the other, there's no, there's too much risk with going into arts or anything. Especially like that. after doing forensic science. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And I was in my second year of forensic science, I remember. And um, we went to the world hip hop championships with Plague because that this is the only competition we had left that we hadn't won. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know what was going to happen because their style was so different to what we were doing. We went there and we actually won the competition there in LA. And from that, one of the judges was a performer who was in the Beatles love show Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas that they were creating at the time. And she knew that the director of the show was looking for a profile like mine, someone who can move the way I move, but had an Indian look or was Indian, you Mm -hmm. know? So I'm not Indian, but I had that look that could pass. So she told the casting director of Cirque, I spotted someone in this competition. Maybe you should uh, look at them and phone them. And then I got a phone call from them. Uh, I remember the phone call I got from them was, I we were shooting, as Plague, we were shooting a movie and uh, we were doing a dance scene. I think it was a- Street dance? Ash- it wasn't street dance. It was way before that. It was in 2005. And it was an Ashley Walters movie that he did. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the movie was called. But anyway, we- I came out of the shoot because my phone was ringing. I answered it and it was so, it was someone from Cirque saying, hi, this is this from Cirque du Soleil and we're interested in um, you proposing or your work for a role in one of our big shows in Las Vegas. So the first thing I said was, I'm sorry, you may have got the wrong number. Yeah, you're, you're like, what? I was like, I don't do clown stuff. I don't do, that's not what I do. Because I Cirque du Soleil, all I thought, I didn't know who Cirque du Soleil was. So all yeah. I thought was circus, clowns, animals. I don't do that. <laughs> I said, I, and then he, he kind of laughed a little bit on the phone. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to send you my our website. Look at it this tonight. And then I'll call you back tomorrow. So then when I got home, I looked at the website and I was like, oh, jeez, this is like, completely different to what yeah. I I'm not I, juggling. Yeah. And still at the time, I still, I was like, no, I'm not. I still had the mind frame. I'm not going to take it because I'm at uni. There's no way I'm going to go and, and do something like this. Nobody would be cool with that. That's kind of what was in my head. So I thought, you know what, it's going to be, let me go and see the experience in Canada because they were flying me over to do the audition there mm-hmm. for the weekend. They I flew think, you. Yeah. They flew me over. Yeah. See, too. that already is like, yeah. that don't happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was, I was grateful for that. And that, that's yeah. why, you know, I just thought to myself, let me go a couple of days. I'm going to audition. I'm going to dance anyway and freestyle. Uh, and then I went there. I got sick on the plane. I remember I got sick on the plane. I got the flu. So as soon as I landed, my audition was the same day and I'm sick. So it didn't matter. I thought, you know what? I'm here for that. I went to the audition. The choreographer was sick at the time as well. So he wasn't there. He, he was seriously ill. So there was no choreographer to audition me. So it was the director who came. Usually he doesn't do the dance. The director came and he just said, and if you know Cirque du Soleil, their audition process is grueling. You have to do acting. You have to do dance. You have to act like, sometimes they say to you, you're Eminem, but you're in a sweet shop and you have to act it out. You know, Or they're going to say to you, you're Flamingo who's high on drugs. You have to act it out. So it's like, they want to see how confident you are 
by taking instructions and directions. But luckily for me, because the choreographer wasn't there, the director just came in and he just said, you know what, just dance, dance to Here Comes the Sun for me. Mm-hmm. So played Here Comes the Sun and I just danced to the whole track. I was sick, but I was giving as much as I could. And as soon as it was done, I was on my knees, breathing heavy. And he was just looking at me. And I'm telling you, this looked like the longest stare. <laughs> it was like, I think for a minute, he was just looking at me. And then he said, okay, you got the job. And he walked away. So I was, just, in my head, I was like, oh my that, God, I did, I did not expect to get this job. Number one. Second of all. I'm gassed yeah. for you. This is. <laughs> I, so, but I, I wasn't even gassed at the time because I was like, oh my God, like, am I going to take this? Like, I, I didn't even comprehend the possibility of actually getting the job and taking it. So I remember the, the, the person with the contracts came to me and I just told them, you know what? I can't take this because I have, I'm still in university and I've, I've seen everything and I'm not sure it's the right decision for me. And then they said, since I was there already one night, they said, hold on, before you make your decision, we're going to give you all these DVDs because they w- I weren't allowed to go into the studios because it was high um, security because of the Beatles music and everything. Of course. So they said, we're giving you all these DVDs, watch it tonight. And then tomorrow, let's rediscuss. So then I watched all the DVDs. And then what, what was funny that evening as well, was a lot of the artists came up to me one by one and they were like, you know what, you should take this because of this, this, this is groundbreaking for dancers in Cirque du Soleil. This is something people will be talking about for a long time. This show will go on for the next 10, 20 years. Uh, so a lot of people were talking to me and I realized afterwards that they told some of these performers to come and speak to me to try and you know, convert me to, to stay, which was also touching for me to know yeah, that. Yeah, because they really they, want you. Yeah, which was really cool. So I spoke to my family that evening. I I phoned back and, you know, I just said to my mom, like, this is actually maybe once in a lifetime opportunity that I may never get. In England right now, performance-wise, we had won everything. You know, the next step would have been to maybe go into theatre or maybe Mm -hmm. do more competitions that are, you know, popping, locking, something like that. So I spoke to my mom and my mom said, you know what? I expected her to fully say no straight away, you know? And Mm -hmm. she was... And she said to me, you know what? Speak to your granddad, because he's kind of like the head of our whole family. Mm-hmm. Speak to your granddad. If he is cool with it, then take it. If he's not, then you shouldn't take it. So I was like, okay. I spoke to him, frightened as hell. I, I was going to say, him. you must be terrified. Oh, terrified. Terrified. And, and, like the godfather. And, yeah, exactly. And, and to my shock, he gave me like the best advice. He just said to me, I'd advise you to take it, but you have to promise me one thing. Do it for a year. And in this one year, if you see a possibility of a career in this for you, then you make the decision to stay after the year. But if you hesitate and there's no career for you, come back and finish your forensic science. So I said, fair enough. I said, that's a very, and he said, but you have to make sure that you're completely honest to yourself. So I said, thank you. So then as soon as I said yes to, well, it wasn't even yes. As soon as I put the phone down for my granddad, it felt like a whole relief came off my shoulders. Yeah. Because it felt like I was say I was making decisions based off what other what I thought other people were gonna say or do, you know. But the fact that they accepted it, you know, it was a it was a great, great relief. So I Man. went back to them and I told them, knowing that they wanted me, I said, you know, I want a little bit more money, I want this, I want yeah. that. And it was fine. And they gave it to me and I ended up, you know, I ended up taking the project and 15, 16, 17 years down the line, I'm here. Yo, that's crazy. So (laughs) 
How long before you started rehearsals? Oh, um, I had to come back straight away, actually. Like, I think um, I went back to kind of sort a few things back at home. And then I had to come back straight away because they were already in rehearsals. Mm. They even, as soon as I told them yes, the next day, they even made a, they made a, let's say an agreement for me to go into the studios because no one was allowed to watch the studios unless you had signed a contract, but I hadn't signed yet, but they made an exception. Mm. And I went into the studio and I started to see what they were working on, how big the production was. It really blew my mind because it was a, it was a different way to seeing creation. And the first thing that popped into my head wasn't, I'm going to be a dancer in this company. The first thing that popped into my head was how many things can I learn from this company in Mm. terms of production value, in terms of creating in terms of just not being only in dance, but really yeah. branching myself out. So that's, I think, what really motivated me to, to, to push myself through Man, the 15 years. That's insane. What's, what was the rehearsal process like? Because in my head, I'm thinking this is so much more intense than just a regular dance job. It, it was the most brutal, I, I would say, rehearsal regime I've ever had. But it was the most rewarding. I loved it. I was in the best shape of my life because you'd have to wake up early, like eight o'clock in the morning because our residence was across the street from the studios. So we would wake up eight o'clock in the morning. We'd have to come into the space. And in the first uh, hour, it's just conditioning. So we're running, we're doing sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups. And it's just that. It's just conditioning. And then after that hour, we have a dance class. Everybody has to do a dance class. So well, when I say everybody, I'm talking about the dancers. Because mm-hmm. there were dancers, there was acrobats, there was uh, actors, clowns, all of that. But for us dancers, we had to do dance classes. And the dance classes were all different. So we had to do bar work for ballet because mm-hmm. our cast was a wide range of uh, performers. Some hip-hop dancers, some ballet dancers, some African dancers, some gumboot dancers, mm-hmm. house dancers. So every there was so much. So we had to do the classes in all of those styles, which I loved. You know, One mm-hmm. day I'm doing partnering and ballet. The next day I'm doing contemporary. The next day I'm doing locking. The next day I'm doing uh, gumboots, which I've mm-hmm. never done before in my life. You know, And it, mm-hmm. I was just learning and learning. And in the show... We had these styles and we had to know them, you know, and that's why we were doing this. Um, so I would say it was like that from, uh, I would say, December, January, all the way to June, which was the premiere of the show in 2006. So it was just every day, apart from, of course, uh, we had two days off mm-hmm. where we can really uh, relax. Recover, yeah. Exactly, recover, exactly. <laughs> but the more we got closer to the, premiere the more intense it got and the more the hours were like from eight in the morning to like maybe 11 at night 12 at night sometimes just because sometimes you're waiting around Mm. for ages because they're working on something else and they don't know when the director needs you and when they don't need you what was really cool though in that whole process was that they they saw the creativity in me from that early in terms of choreographing So they started asking me, you know, to choreograph little bits here and there. So that was great because then already I was showing my creative ability from back then. And and my work ended up being in the show, which was good. And that's so sick. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like doing that first show? Oh, my God. That was crazy. The first show was crazy. Remember, this is the Beatles and it's Cirque du Soleil. So the amount of celebrities, first of all, that were in the premiere, in the audience, was nuts. Like, all the Beatles were there, were the ones that were remaining. 
uh, you, you, Tom Hanks, you know, Tom Cruise. You just had so many names that were there. I remember the biggest thing I remember was I was nervous, of course. We have different alleyways. We have six alleyways where you can make entrances onto the stage. And in my alleyway, you know, of course, just before the show, the whole, all the alleyways are dark because they don't want you to see mm. backstage. I'm sitting there stretching. And then I, I look across and I see like a bunch of the artists looking towards me or the performers looking towards me. And I'm thinking, what's going on? So I look behind me and there's a seat behind me and there's someone sitting in the seat and he's right next to me. I didn't notice him because I'm so focused on the show and I'm stretching. I look back and all, and all he goes was, you're right. It's like that deep voice. And I was like, who is this? And then I realized I'm speaking to Prince sitting behind me waiting because he wanted to wait until the show was ready to start before he walks in crazy and then i'm like i'm good i'm good i'm like how are you doing and he was like i'm just excited to see this show and 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 then he told me to have a good show and then we just had a brief conversation so imagine that that was my introduction before i went into the show i don't know if that would make me excited or terrified both. I was both. Like, you know, I'm not going like, to lie to you. My brain would be scrambling. Like, what's the opening number? How did it go? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. But to be honest, I mean, the, the premiere was a little bit chaotic because there was so much things or so many things to remember. But I was, I would say I was more excited than frightened because mm. we were confident in what we were doing. We had rehearsed it enough times. Of mm. course, you don't want to make mistakes or anything like that. So you're nervous a little bit about that. But I was really more excited because... We were ready. Imagine yeah. six, seven months of some people even longer that came before me. I was one of the last ones that came. They were training for like a year before this. So everybody was really ready to do this. Were there any new skills that you had to learn for the show? Of course, I had to learn partnering. That was a, that was a difficult thing to learn straight off the bat because first thing you think of is, you know, strength. You need to have strength, but it's really not strength. It's technique. It's coordination and exactly. You have to be one. Yeah. You have to be one with your partner. That's what it is. So I had to learn that. I had to learn gumboots because there was gumboots in the show, which is an African form of dance. I had to learn um, contemporary. There was contemporary moments in the show as well. Uh, House. I had to learn at that time as well, because the whole opening scene was just uh, inspired by jacking and house. Mm -hmm. So, I would say in terms of that dance, that's the side that I had to learn. But on the other side, I had to learn stage presence even more, knowing because the stage is 360. It's the first mm. time I performed on a 360 stage. So knowing not to have your back to the audience for longer than a certain amount yeah. of time, you know, like I had to learn that. I had to learn how to balance the stage Um if I'm on one side, if someone's on one side, how do I balance that person on the stage? I had to learn uh, may, knowing, and this was the biggest one, knowing when it's your time to shine or knowing when it's to, you have to give that light to someone else on the mm. stage. That's one big thing because I don't think, I don't think I knew the true value of that while I was at Plague or while I was doing everything mm. beforehand. It was all facing forward towards the public, enjoy this, enjoy this. And it was just giving them dance. Whereas here, really the timing of, of knowing when it's you and when it's someone else, I think that's really a valuable one that I learned. Definitely. The skill mm. to blend is very mm. overlooked. You know, yeah. I know people say, oh, you don't want to blend. You want to stand out and stuff, but there's times to blend. And there's exactly, exactly. They, it, otherwise, it's chaos. You know, mm-hmm. otherwise, if you're trying to show what you've got, this next person's trying to show what you've got all simultaneously at the same time, then the, it's just noise. There's yeah. no focus. 
So I think I think that's what I took the biggest out of that creation, and I took with me on my future creations. Mm. How long were you in the show? I, a pretty long time. Remember, the show is ten shows a week that we had to do. Each show was like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two days off, and I was in the show from 2016 to about 2000 and maybe sorry 2006 mm-hmm. to about 2000 and maybe 14. Wow, it's a long one. Yeah. Long, yeah, yeah, I was eight years at least. I was in the show, but in the, Vegas, in Vegas, mm-hmm. exactly. But the thing is, though, there was like a couple of moments in that time where I, I had issues with my visa coming back into the states. So, like for a good year, at one point, I think it was two thousand and eight, uh, I wasn't in. I wasn't in the shows because I couldn't come back in because of my visa. Mm. So it was bad for me because of the show but it was good for me in terms of doing other things. So I came back with Plague to do breaking convention. I did, uh, I worked on the Beijing Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. I did some Bollywood movies in India. So it was a nice year where I got to experience different experiences while I was waiting for my visa to be approved. To yeah, which is dope because I guess doing Cirque for such a long time, some people would think that maybe you miss out on quite a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Know? And that's, yeah. that's that's the risk that I feel like we take as performers, you know, especially for like if you're in a contracted show where they go, do you want to extend for another year? And you go, oh, but I'm, I want to dip my toe in other water and feel out other things. But it's you don't want to lose that security. So, yeah, yeah, like you said, that's kind of a blessing that you got to go. I get to go and play on other things for like a exactly. little bit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And even in our show, you know what, That that's a good point you brought up because with acrobats, that's not an issue because this is their retirement job. You know what I mean? Because uh, their whole career- oh, this is the is, pinnacle of their Exactly, job. <laughs> exactly. Their whole career is competitions and just competing with gymnastics. Uh, not just, I mean, it's a big thing. But after that, this is the pinnacle where you can go, you retire in a Cirque du Soleil show and you, and you get treated. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Whereas with dancers, it's different because dancers have, uh, I would say, a, a short attention span of staying in one place because they feel they can do other things, mm-hmm. which is normal. I think as a dancer, you have to make that decision separately yourself. You know, we had dancers that come into the show and left after a year or mm. come into the show and left after two years. I think you have to know, am I going to get something from this experience long-term or am I not? And should I go somewhere else like LA and try and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, do auditions? I didn't like auditions. I didn't like, like I told you. my well, thing That wasn't was, your background. No, exactly. I didn't, I hate, I, I hate auditions. I don't think auditions are... A best the best way to get the best out of someone. Like I mm. think auditions, if anything, you're putting fear into people and the ones that come out on top are the ones that don't crack under the pressure of auditions easily, mm. which is a good feature to have. But at the same time, you may lose a lot of great potential because they were not confident enough mm. in it's an audition. It's a different skill. It's a different very, skill. Very. I say it all the time, class auditions and stage they're all different skills just because you're sure. good in one doesn't mean it carries across you know exactly exactly that exactly that and that's why i always say to people there's not a right or wrong you either like to do that and then you go and good luck in your career to do that or you try and do this and see that there's something bigger that you're working towards and put mm. all your effort into this and good luck to this not everybody makes it some do some don't uh how did you find vegas you know what <laughs> vegas I always say this to people, if you're between 20 to 30, 
Vegas is a great place to be because it's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> dangerous for sure. That's a very good point. It's very dangerous to be. But one thing that a lot of people don't know about Vegas is all the suburbs outside of the strip. Yeah. You know, people which, don't know that. Which then feels like a normal place. It, it feels like exactly. I mean, I don't think Vegas will ever be a normal place, but, but more normal. More normal. Exactly. It's more normal. Exactly. It's it's you know, you have your shopping places, you have your kids' centers, you have your families, the houses. Mm. One thing I'll say about Vegas, it's probably one of the best places experiences I've had. Because one thing, I come from England where the houses are tiny for the amount of money you have to pay. And in Vegas, Vegas oh my God, big spaces, pool in the backyard. You have a golf yeah. course. You have, yeah. and you're not paying crazy amounts. You are not paying crazy amounts. Tax-free. Tax-free, exactly. Food as well is cheap. Yeah. Um, so, and you have all the artists around you, you know, because they're mm. all in different shows, not just Cirque du Soleil shows. You have magic shows. You have uh, other comedy shows, singing mm. shows. So, you have the abundance of creativity in that city that you can tap into and work with them. And that's what I did. Not when I was not at Cirque or when I finished my shows, we would create cabarets in the evening for the artists to come and the community to like test things that you want to create. You know, we even yeah. created a show in a, in a two car garage. We transformed the whole two car garage and we created a show with like lasers and lights and projections and dance and acrobatics and, and I think I think that was one of the shows also that got me, you know, to where I am today because people saw, wow, like these guys created this in this small with no money, no nothing. What can they do with money? You know, yeah, so you were already put in that uh, creative skill and ambition, yeah. I guess, to use even when it wasn't for a check or for exactly, a exactly. You know? I I, th- I think that's the I think that's the crucial thing. People need to. Work because you love it, you know, like do it because you love it. If you do it for money, you're going to fall out of love of it very quick because you're not going to get money for everything that you do. So if money is the only purpose, you're going to fail a lot of times. But if you're Mm. doing it because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you may fall along the way or you may fail along the way, but you can still see that light. If you do Mm. it for that, then I, I really believe you can really become successful. Yeah, that's beautiful. That, that mm. literally nailed it because it's true. And everyone that you see that falls out of love is normally because maybe they don't see the, the future in it. Yeah, you know exactly. they've had a, they've been burned and they don't see what's next. Exactly. How did you find uh, Vegas for like the party life? Did you struggle staying disciplined? Because I I had Dadge Darren Tate on here a long mm. time ago, and he said, "Oh, to me, that's my guy." Yeah, 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 yeah. And and he said to me that he loved the show, and his thing was Vegas for him was the hardest place because. Oh he's yeah, part, he was, he's a party he, animal. He was he's crazy. Wild. He's we, wild. We we brought him into the show actually because uh, it was me and another friend called Joel, uh, who was from England as well, mm-hmm. and we knew Darren. Like I had a bad time with Darren in my dance days with Play because when you go to an audition and Darren's there, he takes the piss out of everybody in the room. Yeah, he's, he's a he's a clown. He's, he's exactly. actually a clown, and I mean that in the nicest way. But he's yeah, actually the clown. Exactly, but. We knew how funny this guy was and we knew that he's talented as hell, you know? So we thought, you know what, let's, especially Joel. Joel was the one that really fought for him to come. He came and then we know we became best friends. Like, you know, all three of us became best friends in the show. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to the podcast you did with him. I didn't realize you did yeah, a podcast. Yeah, he tells you some that, stories. <laughs> that's, he had some crazy some stories. stories. <laughs> but going back to your question, uh, in terms of partying, I was the complete opposite of Darren. I was completely mm. opposite for me. 
I was not interested in that side of things. I was more interested in, I was really remain focused. Like, what is, where am I building towards? That was my thing. Of course, I went to parties uh, a few times when everybody was going the out. free and pool parties, like. Yeah, exactly. Course. I went, of course. But <laughs> the thing with me is when I went, when I went to Vegas at the premiere, like between, I went in 2006, the premiere was June. I had already met my wife that, that I'm with right now. I had already met her then. So I was already, you know, with my love of my life and yeah. I didn't need to, I didn't need to go parties and I didn't need to try and- You didn't need to fill other ambitions, I guess. No, exactly, exactly. So th- I think from that, I was lucky that I didn't fall into that trap of gambling, of partying, of doing mm. any of that stuff. Whereas there's uh, some other people, uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they love to party. They yeah. love to gamble. They love to do whatever. They took advantage of being in Sin City, basically. Mm. Yeah, I know a few people that have like done uh, contracts in Vegas. And yeah. I'm like, how is it? And they're like, it's a dangerous place to be. Because when you yeah. think it's bedtime, no one else does. <laughs> oh, like, exactly that. Like, when you go, oh, it's getting late. No one else thinks it's getting late. <laughs> exactly that. It's, they're but like, if, if peer pressure forget you, you're done. Yeah. Think about it. You finish your shows. Everybody finishes their second shows at around 11.30, 11.35 mm. at night, you know? So nobody really wants to go home straight away, you know? So people go out and just, there's a bar just by this, uh, by the theater. So you sit down, you, uh, people drink. I didn't drink, but people drank. Uh, and we would socialize and we would talk. Sometimes that leads to people going out. That's kind mm. of where usually for me, I would bail out and go back home. Well, and you Other- didn't drink. So that's that's the first win. That's the first exactly. win. You're not going to get trapped. Exactly. I think the drinking does, uh, you know, that really makes you spend a lot of money. Of course, mm. a lot of money. And it also makes you want to go party. makes you want to go and have fun. Yeah, makes you you get the flavor, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. get the flavor. When I lived in LA, I was, I lived in LA for three years and I was pretty oh. much teetotal the whole time. I barely drank due to the thought of having an audition the next morning, last minute yeah. and losing it. And then when I came back, I started drinking again and getting back into like, cause I feel like, uh, UK is more social because we can get home in the night. Like LA is like, For you can't sure. drive. No. You know, that was a massive game changer. And bro, as soon as I start to get back into that habit, you know, the flavor <laughs> kicks in and then it's like, oh, this is dangerous. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't even imagine. I was always the person that was looking after the group. You know what mm. I mean? Because like, everybody else would drink. So I was always the person that would be the safe one in the group and make sure everyone's okay. Make sure everyone got home safely and all of that. Sick. So I was okay with that. I was okay with that. Yeah, that's dope. Then mm. how did how did your position move from a dancer to a choreographer and a creative? So while I was performing at Cirque, of course they already know that I choreographed mm-hmm. because I did some for the show. But at the same time, I was doing all of those, I would say, external shows. You know, the cabarets on the side and, mm-hmm. and the solo performance. Cirque would do, sometimes they would do like uh, staff cabarets where everyone in the staff can can propose things and then we would do a cabaret where we all appreciate each other basically Sick. you know yeah and it was great it was really great and it allows the technicians to be able to do something on the stage if they want it or or the technicians oh. taking the piss out of certain artists in the show yeah and it's, i guess it's your time to create something new because everything exactly. you're doing on a nightly basis is structured exactly you know? so if someone learns something new they don't get to show it no, exactly. It's exactly that. And a lot of the artists have other skills that they're not being used in the show and they want to show those skills, you know? Mm. So 
I used all of these opportunities as much as I can to show the community and also to show Cirque in Montreal, in Canada, that, yo, like, I create. This is what I do, you know? I want you guys mm. to keep an eye on what I'm doing because I can see what I want to do later on, you know? Mm -hmm. So anytime I would create anything, I would package it, I would send it off to Montreal to show them this is what I did. Anytime. And not just Montreal, I would send it everywhere, you know? Mm. But... um but one time I got a call from the guy who hired, well not hired, but who the guy who called me, remember that mm -hmm. first call? Yeah. He was, he was a head of scout, uh, casting. Mm -hmm. He went from head Rick, of casting. Rick Cheer? <laughs> no, not Rick. His name, <laughs> his name was Michel Laprise. He, mm -hmm. he's, he's a big director now for Cirque. He did Curious and he did a couple of other shows. He went from being a casting director to being a director in the company. Mm -hmm. And he knew about me and he knew about my history. So he asked me, I'm doing a special event for Cirque. Uh, can you come and be the choreographer for it? Mm. So I was like, of course. So they took, like, they took me out of the show. I went there for you know, a few weeks and I did that. So they saw my work there. Mm -hmm. And then about another year later, same guy contacted me and said, you know, I've got another show in Washington, D.C. I would love for you to come and do, uh, choreograph. So then I went that and I did it. So they already started to see that, you know, I'm doing things for, for them, special events, small budget, quick, because you only have like a week to get everything together. Mm. They, don't also, they, don't, they don't also know that the background I come from, that's what we do. We do things quick. We do things with low budget and we have to create in a timely manner. Mm. But I think all these little things added up. And then there was, the I, I would say, the big break that took me from performing all the way to uh, directing. Two things happened. One thing is a big opportunity came to me as a choreographer from the special events on Cirque. But my show declined me going. They didn't want me to go because they needed me in the show as a performer. Mm -hmm. So I, I said to them, this is a big deal because this is a bigger contract. It's a bigger time and everything but they refused they was like you know we've let you go a few times before the show needs you and we have to do what's best for the show which i understand fully yeah but that gave me the go ahead to know i have to leave the show now and i have to pursue myself as a director because there's uh, there's other avenues now exactly exactly and i'm seeing interest and the only way they would take me serious is if i take my career serious you yeah know, that's, you, that's you, how i saw it you believe in that that exactly. journey they'll believe in it Exactly. If I, if I just, and I, I remember telling her, I just said to her, you know what? I respect the decision, but I think this might have to be my last contract because I want to pursue this. And they mm. were completely respectful and everything about it. It was a big risk at the same time, because you don't know if it's going to pay off or not. So I left, when I left, I went on my honeymoon at the time as well. I went to Bora Bora, mm. great trip. And then from Bora Bora, I got a call from someone who was, so just that I have a, charity organization called one drop that was created by the owner of Cirque du Soleil or the founder. Mm -hmm. And they do yearly shows where they close all the Cirque shows in Vegas and they use as many of the artists as they can to create one show. That's going to raise many, a lot of money for uh, countries with no clean water. So, Sick. so the director of that show contacted me, they do it annually. This was the first year they were going to do it. They contacted me and they said, we would love for you to, choreograph one of the pieces in the show are you interested and for me i had just left cirque so i was like of course i'm interested to do that so i came back i did that it was it was a success the show was a success and then i got offered can you direct the whole show next year 
So yes, you must I have was, nailed that first show. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I was like, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I want to do to show people what I can do because it's also inside one of the Cirque du Soleil theaters. These mm. are multi-million dollar theaters that we can use. So I went there, I did the show. Um, and then um, the show was a huge success. And I remember the president of Cirque du Soleil at the time was there and she was sitting right in front of me and she turned around to me and she said, we need to talk. You know, after the show, because everybody was like, you know, standing yeah. ovation and everything. She said, we need to talk. And then, uh, and they asked me to come back, not her, but the one drop asked me to come back the following year to do the show again and direct it again. So I'd be the, I was the first person to come and do it twice in a row. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have, now thinking back, I shouldn't have done it. I always have a rule. Don't do the same thing twice back to back mm -hmm. because you lose, you don't have the same hunger for it the second time. Yeah. So I kind of felt that when I did it the second year, it was still good. It still raised a lot of money, but I wasn't as happy with that show as I was the first show. Mm. But anyway, that woman contacted me and said, you know, would you want to move to Montreal full time and work on the special events department as one of our directors for all the shows that come in? So of course, for me, it was like, you know, this was the, this was the, what I was looking for. Mm. And I said, yes. So I moved my whole family to Montreal. This was 2015. And then I, from since then, I was working on special, uh, special event shows, big shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the first, I would say two and a half years, three years, I would uh, in Montreal. I was working on special events, and then from there, I did a touring show for a German pop star. I don't know if you know Helena Fischer, but she's yes, massive. yeah. I, so I did one. A of bunch her... of my friends danced on that tour. Oh really? Yeah, oh yeah. cool, cool, cool. It depends because there was the there was the. European tour and then there was the stadium tour. I, I I did the European tour in the arenas, not the stadium. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's the same one. Who was your yeah. friends? Maybe I might uh, know them. Anders Dino. No, I don't know. I'm this pretty thing. sure he did it. Uh Sam Fleet, I think, did it. So I think they did. I think they either did her TV show or they did the stadium tour. Yeah. I did I did the um the Cirque du Soleil created show for Helena mm -hmm. Fisher. So you may know uh Ziggur. Do you know Z uh, Ziggur and his brother? The twins? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Th they were on the show and, and uh, we had a great dance cast on that show. Yeah. Great, really great dance cast. So um, I did that show. That was a huge success. It was, you know, it was sold out everywhere that the show went. It won best touring show in Europe at the time um, because the show was, uh, I must say, it was one, it was the best show I had done up to that time. Yeah. Uh, so I was really, really proud of that. So after that show, then I got given uh, the messy shows, a show, which, so to say which show. is obviously the dream show. That's being the a football dream fan for me. Exactly. I was you a know? football. You know what was it was that project was really meant to be because it came to Cirque when I was working on Helena Fisher, so I couldn't do it because I was working on Helena Fisher, but it broke down the the the, the show broke down the country the talks broke down and it didn't happen while I was working on Helena Fisher. And when I finished Helena Fisher, a few months later, it came back and they said, we want to try again and do it. But mm. this time they came to me and asked me if I was interested in doing it, but they did it with a smirk because they knew I was a football fan. And before they said who it was for or anything, I was like, I'm in, I'm doing yeah. the show, I'm in. And then they told me it was Lionel Messi and I was like, oh my God, yeah, I have to do this. I have to do this. So that, that came and, and that was so far, you know, the dream project to date because it was two of my best things coming together. It just makes sense. Yeah. 
For like, sure. you know, it just makes sense. For sure. It was like, there were, I didn't do, I didn't have to do as much research as I would usually do on other shows because I already knew a lot of things about the football world and the sports world. Yeah. And it's, been, Messi. it's already been a big part of your life, I guess. As yeah. A big um, yeah. What was the, what was the process like of creating, I guess, a football show? a show based around a, a world famous world renowned footballer was it hard to stay did you have to make decisions where you want to stray stay true to football and not uh the creative way that creative mm. people like to go you know how we like to add yeah. a creative twist on of stuff. course but of when course. you're a true football fan you're like no i want it to be true to how it is or i guess that makes it's sense. great. It's a it's a great question because one of the one of the reasons why it failed the first time was because the company didn't believe that Cirque can be successful with sports. They mm. didn't believe that these two worlds can come together and we can still create art, you know, of what Cirque is really known for. So that was the challenge for me is like, how can I merge these two worlds to create something that speaks to people and speaks to our audiences? So I didn't, one thing I, I, I made sure was I didn't want to belittle any of the two. You know, like, I knew, what is special about Cirque du Soleil? Okay, the special thing about Cirque du Soleil is it allows people to feel different emotions when they watch the shows. It blows people away because of how high level their acrobatics are and, and just performance in general. Mm-hmm. Production value is amazing. And creativity levels are off the roof. That's, I want to take those things from Cirque du Soleil. And then what's special about football? The passion of football, the, the the things that the fans go through, the emotions that the fans go through in football, um, the 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 what are the funny things in football also? Because that's another thing, like you know that that the general public know, and not only football fans know. So, for example, mm-hmm. the general public know, oh, in football, people dive easily as soon as they're touched, yeah. they dive. Then they're, they're not. So, I made a whole act around that. You know, like I made a whole funny act around that where our contortionist, his body was breaking the more the medics tried to help him because yeah. he was faking. So it's like karma, you know, that, that was the yeah, idea. Yeah. People love that number. So it was taking those elements of football and um, and and enhancing it with the creativity of Cirque du Soleil. That's the approach that I took so that both, uh, no one lost, lost authenticity in any, in, any, in any department. And I didn't go in the route of trying to create a storyline of Messi when he was young and growing up. Mm-hmm. I went more in the route of, I tried to make it more general. What makes a number 10 special like yeah. Lionel Messi? You know, then it opens up wider to different generations and it's not just Messi fans that would be interested. What makes a number 10 special? The fact they're visionaries, they can see the football and they open mm-hmm. doors on the pitch. The fact that they have to be tricky with the ball so that how creative can they get with the ball the fact uh that they um their leaders number 10 can be leaders on the pitch mm. so i took all of these vital um what should i say uh skills skills yeah and i used these pillars for the show so that we would really dive into one uh, and use metaphorical representations with performances for them mm. and that once all of these elements come together they give you the perfect number 10 yeah, that's so dope. I, I, I'd love to see it one day. I, I hope you do. I mean, it was um, touring, of course, until the whole virus thing happened. It was in Barcelona, then it went to Qatar. Then uh, next, there, it was supposed to go to Argentina, Buenos Aires, yeah. but it stopped because of the virus. So I'm hoping that, you know, they can come Eventually. Out. Yeah, I'm hoping. Um, what are some of the the hardest things that you face being a creative like, what are some of the most difficult things? 
for me, for me personally, I would say one of the most difficult things I faced is as a creator, you want to create what you want to create. You know what I mean? You want to create without having people in your ears or without having people tell you, oh no, we shouldn't go in that direction. We should go in this direction because of the company, because of the name of the company or because of mm-hmm. the brand of the company. So I, I believe that has been the biggest obstacle for me because even though I still enjoy it and I still have to find creative ways to meet, let's say the client's expectations or the partner's expectations or our company's expectations. Like I would love to, for example, to do a dance show, just a dance show with the production of Cirque du Soleil. That's yeah. it. The best dance show that we can do. Get dancers from all over the world and we're going to do something crazy. I can't do that with Cirque du Soleil because the brand of Cirque du Soleil is too heavy. As soon as people see Cirque du Soleil on the posters, they're going to expect acrobatics. They're yeah. going to expect clowns. They're going to expect all of this. And when they don't see it, they're going to criticize the show. So I think this has been uh, one of the obstacles for me that I found, or hardest challenge I found, because I have to find a way to still introduce the things that I love, which are dance, the things that I love, which is trying to find new things, trying to be innovative. Sometimes the client doesn't want innovation. Sometimes the client just wants, I just want a happy show to make my audience happy. That's it. Like really make it, or I just want a kids inspired show. Or I just want, so I think to compromising with Mm. the clients, I think that's the biggest challenges I find because on the good way, it tests me because I have to get out of my comfort zone and I have to create something that works for a client. You know, mm-hmm. that's the good, that's the good way. And it builds another skill in me, but on the negative way, I, I might just want to go in a, a two car garage with my friend again and create another big show like that, you know, but I can't yeah. do that here because it's not in the interest of the company. So I think it's, it's, it's the balance of both. I have to find the best, um, in the opportunity I have right now, learn as much as I can. And then later on, who knows, um, I could be, I could do what I want to do myself. Yeah. What, what do you see for your future? Like, what, like if you could align all the stars and make everything go the way you want it to be, what, what's the goal? That's a very, very good question. I think if it's not easy answer, but what I would say is I want to still be involved in creation Mm. Whatever level that is, whether it's a, it's a, it's, whether it's a an executive, whether it's a creative director, whether it's an artistic director, I still want to be involved in creation. But maybe more than that, maybe creating my own company, maybe creating my own entertainment company where I can push my vision forward mm-hmm. into the world. You know, same way as Dragon did. You know, he started off with mm-hmm. Cirque. All of Cirque's, most of Cirque's successful shows came with him. Mm-hmm. And then he branched off and he did his own company and he's able to do and release whatever he likes, you know? So mm-hmm. maybe that is something that maybe I could go in, but I also really want to do a lot of things with dan- dance. I really believe mm-hmm. that I can, I can do things with dance that I haven't done before, you know, now knowing all the production elements that I've learned over these last 15 years with Cirque. Yeah. Cause I feel like if, if I think of dance shows, the biggest ones which come to my mind as just, just purely based on like, I guess, our style of dance, like hip hop mm-hmm. theater. Mm-hmm. And I think of, you know, your Zoo Nations and stuff, mm-hmm. which all have like fantastic production. Mm-hmm. But then, and this isn't a negative on Kate and Zoo Nation, what they do yeah. is phenomenal. But if you brought in a budget of a company like Cirque, yes. the, the boundaries that you could break 
would yeah. be phenomenal, you know? No, for sure. For sure. I think I think all the productions are different, you know? That, mm-hmm. And with Kate, she's working with what she has to create what she... And, she's, I haven't, the, and this, she's the best at what she does with yeah, what she has, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. I haven't, I haven't seen the, the last show that she did, but I heard good things about it and I heard mm-hmm. good reviews about it. But that's exactly what you hit. That's, you actually hit the point. It's like, it's not just the production value. For me, it's what I learned in terms of storytelling, what I've learned in terms of how can I use the stage differently to normal theater shows. And when mm. I say that, I'm talking about how can I make the experience for the public more unique? Does it have to be where everybody's just sitting watching something passive, passively on an Italian proscenium stage? Maybe we break that mold. Can the crowd be the ones that are sitting on the stage and the performance is happening in the bleachers? Like, mm. Switch it up, you know, like I, I, that's kind of what I want to tap into, things like that. And I think everything that I've learned, all the abstract ways of approaching creation, I think that's really what interests me uh, right now. It's not to go back and try and do another Cats or try and do another Lion King. They're great shows, but it's they've done them, you know. So yeah. I want to try and do something that will provoke, it will make people think what the hell is this you know like i would rather someone say whoa i'm not sure about this but i'm gonna give it a go you know i'd rather that than someone just be comfortable and say you know what i'm gonna buy a ticket for that in two weeks in two months time and go to see that show i want mm-hmm. people to 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 come to the show with curiosity not knowing what they're going to see like i think there's something interesting about that yeah that's i agree is uh, mm-hmm. the the ability to not have to play safe you yeah know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying like some of these guys, and I know you're not as well. I'm not saying some of these guys are, are playing it safe. But you're, think, you're you're just doing the mold that's there. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a there's a there's a platform. There's an audience for that that love yeah. that, and mm-hmm. I understand why they're doing that. I'm just think I don't think my interest is there to do, let's say, a Broadway show or to do. It's not me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like to to while they're singing and and I don't know. It's just I like to. I'm more in the underground. I still I haven't lost that underground feel, I would say. The underground feel where there could be a show under a bridge that nobody knows about, that the only way you know about it is by finding a card somewhere and someone gave you that card and told you you have to be here at this specific time to see the mm. show. Like I, I feel I'm intrigued about that world, you mm. know, and I want to see if I can maybe... But it also, I have to be smart because it also has to be profitable. It also has to bring in finance. It has of to... Of course. It has, so sometimes with those... That way of thinking, you're only talking to a small niche of people, mm-hmm. and that could be dangerous as well. Yeah, and that's what I always think. Uh, uh, that's what happens a lot with contemporary companies. You know, yeah. they have a they have a much smaller niche that are going to go and watch a specific style yeah. of contemporary because there's no commercial aspect that appeals to the masses. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, and, fil- and it's filtered to a small demographic. Exactly. And you you talking about contemporary companies, like I'll give you some that inspire me. I'd say inspire me because they try and, and, and be provocative like that. Still reaching out to many people. Crystal Pie is one. Like I love Crystal Pie's work. Another one is Sidi Larbi Sharkawi. I love his work as well. So these people, these creators, they have a way of telling story through movement and, and dance. Mm-hmm. Their, their look of their productions is beautiful. It doesn't have to be the highest cost. It's nowhere near what Cirque usually put on. But the, the attention to detail in their art direction, the attention to detail in the way they set up their stage so that it already brings you into a mood without anything happening on the stage. It's very, very good. 
And I think that's, I think I want to touch that world mm. with what I know using dance. I want to touch that world. Yeah, for sure. And I, I believe it'll happen. Everything else you've thrown out there has, why not? Thank you. Thank you. I mean, uh, I, th- I think, I mean, I will push it, of course. And I think it will. I mean, I have to do a dance show. Like I have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even if it's a your passion project and then it comes to life. Exactly. Well, exactly. well, like you said earlier, everything's your passion project, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, if you if you could give advice to someone, normally when I speak to people like us, like us, I mean, as in with a dance background, I say mm-hmm. to become a dancer. But I feel like you can give more of an insight onto what do you think people should do if they want to get into a creative position. I think. I think if you want to, well, first of all, you have to be honest to yourself. Is that what, is that what's good about you? Is that, do you have that ability? Do you have that skill? Because you don't have to do a show to know you're creative. You already know because you like to, I don't know, you may like to draw all the time, or you may like to, you may always have ideas that pop up in your head, you know, and you don't know what to do with these ideas, but they pop up in your head. It happens Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. If this is what happens to you, you have to know that you want to be creative. And if you do, then create. That's mm. the that's the only advice I can give people is create and put that work out there for people to see. And from there, you're going to grow because you're going to learn what, what you're saying. You have to have a message. You know, you're not just creating for the sake of it. What are you saying to the people? You know, mm. like, and if you're speaking to the people through your work and you're seeing the people receive what you're saying, then it's going to mm. let you know what's good and what's not in what you're doing you know Mm. what i mean so that's what i did i did so much work in my past i tried so many different things some worked really well some didn't work as well as others and it made me know where i'm strong at where i'm not strong at if i'm not strong at that but i still love that i have to do more i have to do more research into grow into that Mm. if i don't like it and i'm not successful at it i don't touch that anymore and i go to something else and put my energy where it matters most i think Taking your time, your time is very, very valuable. Like mm-hmm. take your time and put your time in places where it's going to benefit you. I think that's the most important thing. A lot of what people also do is they do a lot of things for other people, which is really nice. And they forget about themselves, you know, like really think about what's your intention and what do you want to do and put that energy out there, create all the time, any way you can. Like now we're more lucky than ever in any other lifetimes, we have technology, we have YouTube, we have, you can get your work and it can be seen by so many people. We did not have that when we were yeah. growing up in 2003, 2002, we were doing everything just by what we're seeing live. Yeah. Now we can see what's happening in Korea, what was happening in Saudi Arabia. So I would urge people, you know, use that, use the tools you have around you and, and, and create. I mean, that's the best way if you want to be a creator. But if you if you're if you're just basic if you want to be a dancer and not necessarily go create, I would really advise already start thinking about what you want to do after your dancing career will come to an end. It always comes to an end for everybody. Dance always, you can't dance forever. Mm-hmm. Like I know some people will say, no, you know, when you're older, you can still move. Okay, yes, you can still move well. Are you gonna make money from that? Are you gonna create a living from that? Like you have to yeah. be smart as a dancer to think, how can I make a living from this? You can say, okay, I just want to dance for the next five years, make as much money as I can, and then I'll just go into a different career. Fine. If that's Mm -hmm. your career path, fine. 
but some others may want to be choreographers. You know, you may have their own choreographic companies. Mm. You have to invest in your time now in order for that to come into fruition later. Yeah. If you don't, and you're just saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You yeah. have to make it happen. You got to plant a seed and give it time to grow, right? Exactly. Exactly that. I've got so many seeds. Some seeds didn't grow and, mm. and some seeds do. For me, I look at, I look at putting all that energy out there. For me, ideas are like, you know, things that are in the air. You know, mm. it's not like you're creating idea yourself for the first time that nobody's ever created. I, I'm not, I'm not ignorant to believe that, you know, like maybe someone might have come with something that's never been created and salute to you for that. Yeah. But I believe ideas are in the air. What makes you different and special is how you pluck those ideas from the air and how you merge those ideas together, mm -hmm. how you pluck what idea and how you use it together to tell people your message. And I believe people should start thinking in that mind frame. Like, I don't think you always have to create the next thing that nobody's ever seen. Otherwise, you're going to waste so much time because there's things around you you can use, but adapt it in a way that it's never been seen or never been uh, explored. Yeah. And there's still a lot of possibilities there as well. Man, thank you so much. This has been very insightful and inspiring for me. So I hope it is for everyone else too. Um, I appreciate it. And that. it was lovely to meet you via Zoom. Yes. Um, I've yes. heard lots about you. <laughs> in our industry and lots Hopefully of lovely good. things all, all good. good all very okay. <laughs> good so it's nice to actually uh, speak to you um, I wish you all the best with everything in the future and I hope Canada kind of comes back to life and you get some yes. shows up and running and then we can all see them I appreciate that Kane thank you so much for no worries man thank you so much for your time and oh, what's your podcast because I've got loads of friends that listen to this oh, okay. football, so go oh, if, you, if you like football our podcast is Football Braze Braze B-R-E-H-E Z football braze uh, and then you can find us on youtube you can find us on facebook instagram uh, and just come and follow and have a listen let us know if you like it or not sick i'll put all that in the show notes i'll find it all and put the links in the show notes um thank you so much for your time man and uh have a lovely yes. whatever you're doing today for the rest of the day <laughs> perfect thank you man take it easy bro that. thank you take easy bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Internet's podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends and family. One love. Peace. The Internet's podcast with your host, Kane Silver.